0: It's time for Building the Game, with Jason and Friends, friends. friends. for tabletop game game, on the phone never ends, it's at the end of the the episode, episode. that's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, February 21st, and you'll have listening to episode 508. As always, I am your host, Jason, here today joined uh, by someone who I've just recently discovered should be the alex horn of our show jonathan chaffer 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 how's it going jonathan (laughs) it's going great thanks and then also uh short time listener first time guest we have uh michael waspbrock hey michael hey and michael you are a game designer who i've got to know uh through our discord channel and uh through our weekly meetups and uh Uh, you and Jonathan had a lively discussion uh, about uh, some topic stuff that we're going to talk about. And so I was like, y'all need to come on the show. We should talk about this. So here we are. Yeah, Can't let that good content go to waste. (laughs) No, no. Why do you think I created the Discord server? Because y'all literally just give me content and it's great because then, you know, it makes my life easier. So what have you, uh, what have you, all well, actually everybody knows who Jonathan is. He was here like three weeks ago. So
1: i um, talking about Taskmaster. So
0: Michael, tell us, tell us a little about yourself.
1: Sure. Uh, I am a, uh, a designer based in Atlanta and uh, I really just, I really enjoy the, um, the, the fun that comes out of games and play. I like the, I like the, um, the way that playing games brings people together. I've liked playing games my whole life. Uh, and I had a special affinity to board games and card games as a kid. And so now to be not just a part of the people playing games, but in that community where people are designing and creating to to be um, to be part of that for the last two years or so has been just it's been an absolute delight. I am still super excited. I didn't realize you could just walk into a community like this and be a part of it. But it turns out. That's how it works, especially with podcasts like this one and others that are, um, you know, communities that are so welcome to new designers and uh, and are paving the way for for us to be a part of it. So yeah, I, I I love playing games and I love making games and sharing those with other people.
0: Awesome, awesome, and it it really is true that the board game design community is is a good community to uh, to walk into as a, as a new person interested in the hobby uh, because people a lot of us really want to 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 share that with people and to have more people be in the community. I mean, really, t- tell me if I'm wrong, Jonathan, but I mean, more people is just more playtesters, right? I Absolutely. Mean, really- <laughs> so, but no, we're excited to have you here. And Jonathan, what have, what have you been up to lately other than watching versions of Taskmaster in foreign languages? I know you've been doing that.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, well, we've uh, in the... Game design front, um, getting close to the end of public play tests for the next Holiday hijinks game, and got a couple other things in the fire that we'll talk about at the end of the show, And um, but uh, still kind of in the mode of being a bit giddy every time that I can play games physically in the same room with other people, which yeah. is happening <laughs> with some regularity now, so... I don't know. That's probably the most exciting thing in my life right now.
0: That, that would be exciting. Yes. I've, I've got to play games with my family, but that's about it. Uh, not that I don't love them, but I, I, loved when we had game nights and we could have more people over and it was, it was a lot of fun. So yeah, I miss that. Um, all right. Well, uh, you know, I have a feeling it's going to be a super long topic. So, um, so I think we're just going to dive right in. And, um, I remember now there was something that I went to start recording or actually after I started recording. I said, I was going to ask you to, I was going to ask uh, Jonathan, uh, would you be so kind as to introduce the topic? I figured you'd say yes. So I just, who needs to ask? So, uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it's really Michael's topic, but. Um, well, you, you know. made
0: this really good list, though. So I figured Michael <laughs> would rather you introduced it.
2: <laughs> so um, today we're going to talk about. The divide between digital and physical games, um, specifically with an eye toward. uh, Well, what started the discussion was talking about app assisted games, um, Mm -hmm. games Mm -hmm. where you um, use some sort of uh, digital component as well as the board game itself. But I thought um, in any discussion like this, I think it's very useful to define the universe you're talking about because as as i was thinking about it it's there's really a continuum of games from on one end just traditional board games to on the other end video games there's a lot of gray area in between and i think it'll be useful to um talk about some some of those categories on that spectrum in between and some examples of games or Or apps uh, under each, just so we, when we have our discussion, we can refer back to which, which kind of thing we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So, yeah,
0: I was just gonna say, you know, when Michael started this discussion, even in our not large community, you know, our smallish community, there were a lot of opinions. Like this, this like was like a firestorm of a discussion. So that's why I was like, we got like, we have to talk about this. And I mean, even talking about. There was somebody I don't remember even who said this, but somebody said there was a person who, if they see an app assisted game on BGG, they just rated a one. I don't remember who said that, but
2: yeah. Like... So that was that was I brought that up because um, the reason that that you invited me on is I've got a couple games out now that require mm-hmm. a digital component, and I noticed in an upcoming game that you know has the typical what. 10 ratings that you get before the game is released from people that have heard about it or just randomly come across the game on BGG that one of them was a one and you know, I'm curious and I follow it because the, and there's a comment and the comment was stop designing this way. And I went to this person's profile and see that they have rated 10 games a five, you know, forty-six games a six. They've a hundred and seventeen games a one, and every single one of them is not a board game, or you know, they're all 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 variants on a the theme. So some people wow. have very strong opinions about this.
1: A personal vendetta, a passion in life to remove a certain kind of um, of game design decision, and I think it, it's super interesting that it's a. It seems like stumbled into a a divisive topic, with a lot of opportunity in the design space, but also I think it touches on what defines a, a tabletop game for some people, and they're not they're not comfortable, uh, or maybe they've had some very bad experiences with games that play in this space. And so I'm, I'm excited to explore it more. Yeah. Well, so I... after we
2: d- define some terms, I was I'm hoping that we can talk about what makes a game appropriate for one of these mediums or the other or and w- when is it appropriate to be in in between what are the pros and cons
0: agreed uh, i'm going through right now and i'm rating 10
2: on all those games cause that guy can, <laughs> can just bite i'm not complaining i just thought it was, <laughs> uh, thought it was funny um so anyway huh. um yeah so i uh, the categories that I came up with here, just as a rough draft, so starting starting on the one end, we have traditional board games that we're all familiar with that are strictly physical. So there are, so the first shade of electronic assistance that I could think of were, um, mostly we're thinking about these days, phone apps or maybe websites, um, things that you would you would see that way uh, there are of course a lot of um well we we'll get, can get into that later other other ways of doing electronics but um first the first one is what i called gadgets are things that you don't need to play the game and don't really help you play the game but they have something to do with the game and a couple quick examples that i came off up, up top of my head the um Uh, The Exit series of Escape Games, they are not app-assisted, but they do have an app that you can get. And all it is is a thematic soundtrack and a timer. Raider to one. (laughs) (laughs) So that's not really part of the game, but they offer it. Um, And then the more fun one is one that I, I tend to trot out every time I'm playing Wingspan. There's Someone has come up with an app called Wingsong, which is brilliant. You hold your phone camera up to any card in Wingspan, and it plays the call that that bird makes.
1: Oh, wow. I like that. That's all it does. That's fantastic.
2: Big database of bird calls. So it has nothing to do with the Uh game, but it definitely is an experience um, enhancer.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Okay, so I have one to add. Um, I was talking to my wife about this uh, this general <laughs> I see, topic. I see you and just I, shared it. I just dropped it into. Uh, I just dropped it into the the Discord <laughs> chat. I have never heard of this game, but I was, as I said, I was talking about this idea with my my wife, and she was like, "Oh, I I've got a game that immediately comes to mind." that i played when i was in i think she was in like grade school and i've never heard of it have you guys heard of or uh, or played electronic dream phone
0: i haven't i wish chris michaud
2: was here (laughs) because i'm sure sure he's played it (laughs) i am sure there was a flip the table episode on this
1: yes this so the uh, just to give the, the the audience i guess a a uh, premise of what's going on here the the bgg description starts with one of 24 incredible boys really likes you <laughs> now you just have to find out who he is by calling his friends for clues and the premise of this game is it's it's kind of like clue or um i, mean, I guess any hidden information discovery game you're trying to to tease out the answer which is randomly determined i think by a shuffled deck of cards but the the gimmick the gadget like Jonathan was talking about is a a physical, um, bright pink phone, like the kind that you used to hang next to the fridge on the wall. Yeah, that it's you dreamy. Carry around with you, yeah, a cor- a dreamy cordless phone. <laughs> and when you have the what you believe to be the right answer, uh, which is a phone number that matches with a um, an incredible boy, uh, <laughs> you t- you literally type it into the phone and you get the The puzzle solution you you get whether or not you you found the right uh, secret admirer and and if you do I think there's actually a uh, a voice cue or a voice recording that says you're right I really like you that plays oh, back through wow. the phone <laughs> and I, I'm I'm not saying this is a good game but clearly it's a memorable game and it created an experience that I think would not be the same. If you were just flipping over a card and revealing mm-hmm. whether or not you got the answer right, it's uh, it's immersive and it sets the mood for the game. So um, yeah, I, I think I think and I think that's very similar to the the app that you described for Wing Song. A very different feel, but it's it's in it's uh, expanding on the the mood or the feeling of the game, and it allows players to um, to engage with it in a, a way that is harder when you're just reading text or something like that. So, um, I think there is a place for gimmicks like this. If they, if they do something to expand or set the mood for the game. Um, yeah. Read. Actually yeah, I have so, one more. Oh, yeah, oh, go go ahead, ahead, Jonathan. You first. Uh, So one other, uh, similar to, to wing song. Have you guys played secret Hitler before it's in the vein of, uh, mafia or uh, werewolf, the social deduction game, um, it has this, it's not, it's not, um, it's not a, uh, like a, an add on from someone else. It's built into the game. There's a little app that plays at the beginning. And uh, Secret Hitler is a silly game, but I don't know that you would know that if you were just reading the the cards or the rule book, you know, that's got some world war two serious looking iconography and things like that. Right. But the moment you turn on this app, which narrates the beginning of the game and tells everyone to close their eyes and to, you know, have the, uh, have the, the bad person raise their hand, identify themselves. It's got this goofy, um, different every time narration that just immediately sets the tone for the game and lets, you know, this is a stupid, funny game. It's quotable. And, Um, And I I think as silly and simple of an app as that is, I think it's really important to the game because it uh, it sets the mood, it sets the tone Mm -hmm. in a really small way without it it does the opposite of pulling you out of the experience, which is something we'll probably talk about more later, which is a really bad implementation of electronics and games. So there's some other things I thought of. That that reminds me
0: of uh, Exploding Kittens. When you open Mm -hmm. the box of Exploding Kittens, it plays music like real cheeky music Uh yeah so which it fits with the game and it does it's like you open the box and you just like you can't help but laugh i mean when your kids (laughs) open it for the hundredth time it's not as funny um but you know it makes you chuckle when you open it and then you play a silly game so yeah i'm i'm right there with you on that i think that's setting a tone for a game i think is great
2: yeah. And I think that example probably bleeds into what I had as the next category, which, um, I said as, as quality of life improvements. So I think the distinction I was making was with the, the first group that I was talking about are things unrelated to the gameplay that add some aesthetics. Um, and then we've, we've got the ones that, that, make it easier to play the game and so for for that example i assume i haven't actually played that uh secret hitler but if you if uh but i have played some of the other ones like that that have app assistance um and i i assume that those instructions are printed and you wouldn't have to use the app but people right people do
1: right it's it's not mandatory, but man, it, it sets the tone in a way mm, yeah. that like, you go out of your way to to use it because it's more fun.
2: Yeah. So it it makes the so so that's kind of bleeding into what I'm calling these quality of life improvements because it makes the game easier easier to play in some way. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, the adventure games series is another one that came to comes to mind where um, you. You're doing kind of a choose-your-own-adventure-style gameplay that you can pick up objects, look at them, combine them, go into new rooms. And and there's a big book with all of this printed in, and you can go to the number and read it all out. You can do the entire thing in an analog fashion, or you can use the app and type in the number and have a nice, nicely produced narration. Professional narrator can read that for you, which, which is mm-hmm. both an aesthetic improvement, but also just makes it easier that you don't have to have someone read a whole bunch of text to the group.
0: Hmm. I mean, I think that when you talk about quality of life improvements, one of the things I think of is, and this is separate from an app, you know, a game assisted with an app. It's when you take a game that can be slow to play or have a higher cognitive load because of scorekeeping and stuff, and then just have, the app version of the whole stinking game right i mean like, like that is you know i think of stone age and how quickly i can play a game of stone age in the app and how long it takes me to play it with people um and part of that is because the scoring is you know just boom 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 yeah um, sure so, but even
2: even if it is just uh even if you are just still playing the physical games there are scoring apps that can make scoring math intensive mm-hmm. games way easier Um, I I
0: mean, I use even just generic scoring apps. Like I use scorekeeper XL just as my, it's my notepad to keep score on whenever we play and, and it's fantastic. Like it was like a couple bucks, I think for like the, the pro version of it. And it was completely worth it because I've used that a thousand times to score games. And so it's, um, and it keeps track. It's great. And it's got our names in there. And, you know, I mean, like, it's just, it's. I'm saving the planet, basically one person at a time, so or one <laughs> game at a time. Yeah, or how you know, many of us
2: use uh, BG stats to track things when we're mm-hmm. playing and sync things back to Board Game Geek? That, that counts. Mm-hmm. I think we're yep. coming
1: in mostly positive too on electronic assistance up to this point with examples, but I think this is also um, one of the areas where uh, some of those. Game designs that leave a bad taste in player's mouth um, can uh, can can show up. So games where they are leveraging, um, and not just leveraging, but relying too heavily on assistance and scoring and things like that, it, it can lead to bad design decisions, like overcomplicated scoring, yes. because you have this app in the back end that can fix it. Um, or uh, or right. um, another example would be just what seems like a cheap game design where you are not shipping a, a physical tactile component because you can just link them to a web page. That's, that's certainly not always the case, but I think this is probably the easiest category to phone it in and to, to not make the full product. And so I think this is where a lot of people have had bad experience when, when an app or a, not an app, but a, um, an aid, like you're describing uh, doesn't add anything to the experience or doesn't fit into the game world in any meaningful way. And, um, And creates that dissonance. Does that make sense? Have you had? Yeah, I think the
2: the key in a lot of these, a lot of the game, the apps and aids in this category being non controversial is that that by and large we're talking when we say quality of life improvements, we're talking about things that are completely optional. That you can (laughs) you can just not have it, and the game still works. But yeah, to your point, Michael, if if the design of the game is assuming that people will have that and they and they make they take shortcuts or they don't put the polish on something because they're thinking oh they'll just use the scoring app Mm -hmm. yeah i hear
1: you that's that's an excellent distinction so it's the difference between here's an optional upgrade if you want it totally up to you and Hey, you have to play it this way and the game hinges on the assumption that you will and will want to to use this this optional thing.
2: Yeah, which which brings us to the next group which is uh uh-huh. <laughs> games that that have required apps. That way where you simply cannot play the game without uh without an well, some sort of electronic
1: device. Um Yeah, and I looked on BGG and there's over 300 games in this category. So that that one angry individual has a lot of work to do. They've only hit about a third of them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and um, they, can, they can be required for, for lots of different reasons. You've got, um, well, the escape room genre I know and love. Um, the unlock series would be the quintessential one where you have to have the app. Um, a couple other examples that I just wrote down. Um, Alchemists was one of the earlier ones to do this. Um, which is a game that has a deduction component where you have to use the app to figure out I believe I believe there is in alchemist a way to do it without the app by having another person who's not playing look at the answer and be the app for you but that's not not very satisfying um yeah and there's um detective I wrote down as one that that where you get clues that way um, chronicles of crime I think also um, Stop Thief was one I wrote down because I thought it was kind of a funny example to have in mind. This kind of goes back to the to Michael your your phone example. So Stop mm-hmm. Thief now is an app assisted game, the one that um, Restoration put out, but it's a redesign of an old game with an with a hardwired um, electronic gadget that tells you where the thief is moving around the board with the sound um, hmm. and you punch in the code it, or there are so many of those of that 1980s era that have the, you know, dark tower and Omega mm-hmm. protocol yeah. and all of those.
1: Like you, Jonathan, I like to, I like to split things out into categories to think about them. And, um and in researching some of these app assisted games myself, it seems like the, the function of these apps, when they're done well, usually fall into four categories. They're either used, and and there might be some overlap between these, but they're either used for simulation, like you just described with Stop Thief, where it is controlling the AI in some way and creating a thing for players to interact with. They're used for narration, um, and that can be just a minor thing, like a a bonus, or sometimes it's literally, hey, there is no... um, good way to create the amount of narrative we want in a board game and so we're going to provide that in almost an audiobook style form um, they're used for immersion to to bring people into that world in a uh in a more um what's the expression you guys the, the circle of friends um magic circle I don't know if that's quite it the magic circle thank you yeah New to new, new to the board game circle uh, in the design space uh, it's used for immersion to, to bring people more into that experience of the game or just for accessibility which is to to make aspects of the game that could be difficult um, easier and more accessible for people and um, and so yeah I was thinking about different games and how they fall into those categories and uh, the the only one that I wanted to add I, I had unlocked two Um Is I looked a good bit into a game um, by Eric Lang called XCOM, the board game, because it is a Mm -hmm. a board game version of a a video game. And I'm a big fan of of, uh, uh, turn-based tactics video games, which XCOM falls into. Are you guys familiar with that game at all? Mm -hmm. Yes. Have you played it?
2: I haven't played the uh, board game version, actually. Just only the video game. Oh, and I okay.
0: haven't played the video game, but I've played uh, Mario Plus Rabbids, which I'm told is basically oh, yeah. XCOM.
1: It is. Yeah, so. yeah. Same. That's that. That actually, that's a great example. I was going to talk more about uh, <laughs> about tactics based games in video games because that's super interesting. They're basically board games, right? But they. Yeah. But they're but they're adding something new by. Anyway, we can get into that later. I rate um, those
0: games a one every time. <laughs> get out of my board game video game. So. <laughs>
1: It's the same idea, right? Right. Um, but I, I, I kind of butted in, uh, Jonathan, with uh, your your app list. But I just wanted to plug XCOM there, and I have some thoughts about <laughs> that, too, if we want to get into it.
2: Yeah, and I think that is the that is the category we're going to be t- having the bulk of the conversation there. But just to, just to round it out, um, once we get past that, then we're starting getting away from board games that have electronic components to electronic games that have board game components. So... So the next mm-hmm. the next stop on the list, I was thinking about video games, primarily video games that have something physical along with them. And the the mm-hmm. um, I mean, we were talking a little bit about it. You can maybe make the case for games with funky controllers like Rock Band or Dance Dance Revolution is kind of anything being, that, from the Wii. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but I was thinking more um, games that. Oh, gosh what was that eye of judgment that there was the game that you play with the cards with the old playstation camera looks at the cards and what? does stuff with them um i've never oh, I've heard of heard. this this was back I've... like playstation 2 era i think um and uh but then one more modern one that that i thought was worth mentioning was keep talking and nobody explodes uh, the two of you yeah. familiar with that one
1: there's hmm. a physical uh a booklet that you go through right like a um yes like a uh instruction book for a, a bomb that you are referencing while playing the video game yeah oh, so wow. one
2: player is using the video game to defuse a bomb but doesn't know how to do it and the other player or players have the printed manual
0: oh that's clever i like that. that's so cool I was going to throw out there too that I remember, and I don't know what game this was specifically. It might've been like a Pokemon thing or something, but it was for the Nintendo 3ds -hmm. and you would put a card down, uh, like a physical card Mm. and then you would scan the, like the, you would hit the card with the camera while you were playing and it would literally make the card like animate on the desktop, like on your desk that the card was sitting on. Um, and I remember how crazy that was, like seeing that when it first came out because i was like oh my gosh it's like you know it's because it looks real and um and that was yeah. gosh that was early 2000s probably it's probably mm-hmm. like oh 304 maybe
1: yeah that, like that, that launched with the uh, the 3ds and it was uh, that's a uh, ar technology and people mm-hmm. have explored that space with phones and things since with mm-hmm. uh again with like laying cards out and creating a three-dimensional battlefield and things like that mm-hmm. uh, that's really interesting um I guess in a similar venue, toyetic type games, um, with action figures like amiibo or Skylanders or yep. oh, there's another That's one, a good one yeah. too. Yeah. That probably fits in there too, where you're handling a physical thing. You don't usually manipulate it to manipulate the game character, but there is a there is an overlap between the tactile and the and the game space, mm-hmm. uh, although I think that one's pretty uh, a pretty weak connection. It's more appealing to the uh, serial collector in us than yeah. it is the. It,
0: it's the, the, it's mo- the... mostly a license to print money. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, or or the same concept, but a little bit closer to the gameplay might be uh, Drop Mix, which was yes, uh, oh, that's a
0: great game.
2: Yeah, the harmonics. Well, it is. Is it a great game? See, it's a great experience. Um, so, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest. I've never
0: actually played the game. <laughs> um, exactly but it's yeah. a hell of but it's an a experience great toy. when you're just like oh it's so fun my kids when when the kids were doing school at home they were in online school um during 2020 um 2020 to 2021 we um like that would be like some an option they could choose for music was they could just pull out drop mix and 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 remix stuff because it was fun and it was
2: engaging and like so yeah um, so for people who don't know what it is it was a it's a card game but every card has a little rfid chip in it mm-hmm. and the board knows when you put a card which, which place you put a card on and every card represents a musical instrument in a song
1: and so you in as you're yeah. playing the songs cards, you've heard of too yes so exactly. the cards are like so- midi inputs or midi controllers Each one's no, it's a little loop
2: it's like a recording of the bass line from I want you back by the Jackson five would be this card. Oh, so, you're, so when you're it's like on the board, DJ that's with playing. multiple tracks. Yes. Yes, exactly. And it and automatically. It's
0: mm-hmm. And it's crazy. Cause like some cards will have like a guitar line or a vocal line and you put it in whatever one you want. And then the person will be singing and that'll become your vocal and um, and then there're like these mega cards that you can put down that remix the entire song. Um, but it's like it is superbly well done. Like mm. when you like anyone sounds like a DJ when you're doing it. like my kids are like, listen to this awesome like song I made and you know when they're 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 small, especially back then, <laughs> and they're just making these songs that sound legit because it's doing all the work for them. Um, and it uses not only is that an electronic game. With the drop mix board, you also have to have an electronic device to play the music and mix it. Um, which is how they, you know, and when you you can tell because when you put a new card down you've never used before, it will delay for a second. And it's because it's downloading that to your phone where it's actually doing all of the work. Um, but it's 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 a splendid experiment experience, is what it is. I I like it's just super fun to play with. I have no idea how the game works. Didn't even care. Um, And I got it when it was like canceled. I got it at like five below when they weren't printing it anymore. So it was like 20 bucks. And like, I got a bunch of packs for like a few bucks each. It was totally worth it. Yeah.
1: big
2: Yeah. So you could, you could make an argument that that is a card game with app assistance, but the presentation for me puts it over into, it's really a video game where you're using cards to manipulate the video game.
0: Mm -hmm. and and frankly it like i don't think that it performed as well as they probably wanted it to because like an argument could be made that it's a board game but an argument can be made that it's an electronic game or it's a video game like it it, i don't think people really knew how to respond to it Mm -hmm. um and i only find out because jason katarski who's from the show and is super into music got into it and i was like
1: oh my gosh like i need this because i just need games so yeah <laughs> yeah, that, that and, might be why some of these things struggle uh to to find a home I, mm-hmm. I think in the in the whole spectrum that jonathan has laid out for us because we can talk about whether or not these are good games from a design perspective from a user experience perspective but mm-hmm. they're also there's also the question of is this a good product and i think if right. you have a hard time defining something you're gonna have a hard time finding the market for it so it might be a extraordinary experience but it might be a, a very difficult to to land product if if it floats between these areas and it's not clear to people what they need to um, to experience it totally agree
2: yeah so we so just to round it out um the that now we're almost all the way to video game. I think we are to video game, but there's a n- mm-hmm. little kind of liminal space there that Michael brought up when we were talking about this beforehand, and I think it's worth slotting in here as yeah. its own own bucket, which they, is, yeah, video games that want to be board games, kind of.
1: Yeah, it's, it's yeah. if I can expand that a little bit. What I mean is, like, there there are video games that can only be video games, like a first-person shooter. Or a platformer game, or a third-person action game; those don't exist. Like you cannot emulate that experience in a in a tabletop setting with cards or or pieces or components. It's the the, the kind of uh, play you're having can't be done. The closest thing is action figures, right? Bonking them together. But there are other genres of truly purely video games that are also kind of board games like there's an entire subgenre of video games that are deck builders very popular well-built deck builders i've played at least five deck builder video games and Mm -hmm. i want to talk about a few of them as like a case study um there are are games like XCOM or like mario versus rabbits or fire emblem uh, or or a whole host of final fantasy tactics uh follow-ups that are just moving figures around on a grid and that's Gloomhaven or, um, or uh, Warhammer or any game ever where you're moving figures with set distances and range and action but simulated in a, in a video game. And so mm-hmm. there's this overlap where this could work in a lot of ways as a game. So what is it doing differently? Why is it a video game? Should it be a video game? And, and when should your design gravitate towards that versus the, the physical product? So that's kind of why I wanted to carve that out as its own space within video games
2: yeah absolutely yeah um there's uh there's a game that i'm really trying to think of i think that the the um the deck building ones are are kind of the uh most obvious um, like slay the spire is one that came
0: right to my yeah. mind yeah mm-hmm. where that is i mean that that could 100 be a board game you would just need a million cards it, it and was a lot of they time were, to do they math.
1: built it they built it as a card game like hand-drawn prototype pencil cut out of construction paper cards um, before it was a video game. And they play tested it like that for close to a year as designing it.
0: That boggles but, my mind. Isn't like, that awesome? It started it is.
1: as a, the same thing that you or I could have made at a desk without any coding knowledge whatsoever. They made a good card game. And then they they took that and they said, okay, we want to do something um, a little bit different than what you can do with a physical card game and so they took it into a digital space and um and i'm assuming some of this i've watched some like designer diaries behind it but i don't want to put thoughts into the designers minds but what they have done is they've created a deck builder that doesn't work anymore in a physical space Mm -hmm. by uh by Mm -hmm. leveraging some of the uh some of the attributes of video game design like Mm -hmm. having a computer to run math for you lets you create a deck builder where you can incentivize to make infinite loop um, deck strategies, where you have an infinite card draw. You cannot create a deck builder that allows infinite card draw with physical cards, because no one will want to play with you. Uh, right. <laughs> but you can do that in a digital space, because you can, you can run the draw and discard super fast, and you can put in um, designs like bosses that deal one damage to you whenever you draw a card which you could not do physically because you can't increment something once every time you draw a turn because, again, you'll go crazy. Uh, so they, they they leveraged that space to do new things, to explore new things in deck mm-hmm. building that could only be done um, in a video game. And I think that's really interesting because at its core, it's a board game, but they did something you couldn't have done with that board game in a physical space. Mm-hmm. The
0: other that- thing they did that was magic was they took a game that was going to be a deck builder card game and then they turned it into something that was profitable um, <laughs> making it a video game <laughs> that that hurts i'm working
1: on a deck builder right oh, now oh
0: no 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 that was that was a mock on the on the entire board game industry compared to the video game industry uh-huh. that's all that was that wasn't <laughs> just de- i'm just saying they were like think of how that game would have performed say mm-hmm. that they made the simplified version of that game and it was every single bit as awesome as the real version is And that maybe it would have sold a few hundred thousand copies, like in a perfect world. Um, And now it sells millions of copies. And so, so yeah, I'm just making that point.
2: Yeah. And another, another, um, another one that comes to mind in that category, I thought that just, that just popped into my head. um, It it took a very different direction. You know, the game Sumer. Um, I, I have it for the switch. I'm not sure if it's on other platforms probably is. Um, it is a worker placement game, mm. so you're you're going to going to spaces on the board to get some grain that you're going to turn in exchange for oil or goats or whatever it is, and then and get points, turn them in for points. Really basic, but the instead of taking turns because it's a video game, what they can do is to get to the spots you you just control your character and it's a platformer. So you're jumping up levels, racing to the little spots. So you have to think about where you want to go and get there before someone else does.
1: That's super interesting.
0: Yeah. It is weird looking. So it's built like a ziggurat. That's really cool looking. I've never heard of this before. I I will check this out.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've got an airplane trip coming up and I need something to play on the way. (laughs)
2: They also have, I mean, they're, they've, they're pushing the boundaries of all the traditional board game mechanisms, but just what you can do if you have interactivity with the controller. So the, the um, yeah. bidding in that game, um, instead of a normal auction that you'd have, is a timed auction where everyone can move their bid up and down freely until time runs out. So you can move your bid up and other people will try to move their bid up to match you. And then at the last minute, you can move your bid down really fast to trick them into paying more.
1: (laughs) It's almost like they took a dexterity game and they layered it on, but you can make it a lot more fair because with video games, you have more precise inputs and controls. Mm -hmm. I think dexterity is a lot less off-putting in that environment than... It can be for for you know for some gamers in a uh, in a physical space and more accessible. There's a lot of accessibility options built into video games that just are a lot harder to recreate in the in the board game space if you're trying to make something based on dexterity or speed or something like that.
2: Right. Yeah. So that I think that that gets us through the list and actually t- ties into the very first question we were going to talk about um, afterwards, which is how do you decide whether the game that you're working on belongs as a board game or belongs as a video game. And are there times when the middle ground of a board game with a required app is ever appropriate and why? This is the big question.
1: The big question. I'm going to just going to throw it out there and say that the middle ground is sometimes appropriate. And uh and Jonathan, I'll I'll plug I'll plug your uh um what is the what is the series called the holiday uh, uh, holiday hijinks, hijinks yeah yeah, yeah. I, you know I've played a few in play testing and I I like your implementation of a of a website for the for the hint system and for the solutions because in that design you are you're designing for a, a very small package and so the fact that you aren't including extra physical components. To, to run the hint system and to run the, um, the solutions is is relevant. You're not just trying to, to save money. You're able to put a bigger game inside of a, a small package by making that design decision. Um, it also gives you really good control over how the hint system works, which I, I know you've mentioned in previous episodes is can make or break that kind of escape room style game by, by how you let people dig into the kind of hint they want so i think there's definitely times when the middle ground like that is is appropriate um but i think it can be hard to find and so yeah let's let's unpack a little more about the i guess that the upsides of each or some of the strengths um for uh for the different categories that, that you listed out in the in the top of the episode
2: yeah so i think um I guess to expand on that since you brought it up um just thinking about the reasons that I went down that path um for those games because if we're talking about the, the escape room games they they certainly the exit series which is does not involve an app is great and they have uh they have great interesting puzzles that they can deliver in that format however to Uh, to um, check an answer you have to use a code wheel that they've provided that gives you a number that you cross reference in a deck of cards which you then cross reference to a second number which then tells you if you are right or wrong and it's all it's kind of a miracle that it works but it's a little clunky (laughs) And and what are
0: the odds that you could mess that up when you're doing it it
2: I don't find we mess it up too often. But one of the big things <laughs> That's is the it, ring endorsements. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it it's a system that works, but there are steps involved that aren't part of solving the the puzzle. So it's kind mm-hmm. of it, it it really feels a whole lot like you're playing a long euro game and you have to do the math part at the end <laughs> to see who won. It's kind of the same same idea. And the other um. So, Michael, like you were saying, the the main motivation was just I had started out saying this is an eighteen card game, and and so it it simply I simply didn't have room right. to do anything. But even if well, I then... didn't have that limitation, as soon as I said this is app this is app assisted, I had so much more freedom that I could do things like the answer is a word. You simply can't do that with a physical check system. The only the only escape, uh, the only one that does, is um, the Dexcape series, and their solution is, well, the answer is printed on the back of the card, so you just turn the turn the card over to see if you got it right. But then, if you weren't right, you just then saw you the know. answer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't get that that um that those those levels or, or shades of of clues, uh, which can remove some of the um some of the good feeling you get by solving a, a, a puzzle based on the difficulty that you want to set for yourself. Um, the professor Layton games do that really well. That graduated clue system. Did you mm-hmm. any take inspiration from that or something like that?
2: Um, the, the, the biggest for the hint system, the biggest inspiration has been the, um, the old Infocom games, you know, like Zork, um, the text adventure games. They had, they had a, a, a system they called Invisi clues. That was, was this, um you know which question do you want answered kind of uh style but but yeah but yeah so that that all kind of falls along um something that you can't do so the hint the hints you could do physically i think without a big problem if you had the printed material if you had like a big book that goes with it or you were doing something with red lens technology, maybe, to hide the answers. Um,
1: which is kind of cool, even if it's clunky. It gives you that right. spy feeling.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um so so that really what was get what it let lets you get away with is is less material in that case. But something like you brought up when you were doing the subcategories there of um an AI, that is uh-huh. something that's really hard to pull off. Um in a purely physical implementation that an app makes so much easier
1: Mm -hmm. yeah the 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 xcom board game that i alluded to that's one of the ways they they leverage their app and um they really went all in on that design it's I, i believe there's not even a physical rule book for the game it is just an app uh that that lets you play it and that app serves as a a timer it serves as, a, um, as an AI for placing uh, enemy alien um, spaceships as they're landing and randomizing that and, and, uh, and dictating some of their movements. It's an entire role for one player to hold that tablet, and, to, um, and that's their role for the game, is to take the information that only they have access to and to try and pass it to other players a little bit like the keep talking and nobody explodes, kind of you know, uh, stress-based timer chaos of communication. Um, there's even a, a part in the game where the um, where what's happening in the game can impact the technology you're holding and cause it to, to sort of malfunction, which I think is really interesting. Um, there's a lot of, of neat ideas packed into that. Uh, but I think you also touched on one of the reasons that uh, an app assistance or something might detract from a game, which is people that like sitting and playing a game over just a board game do like touching and feeling and moving things, even when it is a little bit harder or a little bit more work. Like there is something magical about taking a, a a red color filter and sliding it over to reveal a secret message that is just not as um, memorable as clicking a button on an app on a phone to reveal something. And so uh, in, in defense of purely physical games, I do think, we, we need to be careful to not uh, to not push away completely in the uh, in the direction of of ease of use and, and lose some of that magic.
2: So let me flip the question on its head there for on this example, Michael. Um, uh-huh. Why? Why do you want to play this XCOM board game as a board game as, a, as opposed to a purely digital implementation? What does the board game uh, part give you?
1: I'm glad you asked, Jonathan. I was wearing uh, the same thing, actually. So uh one of the things that board games do, in my in my opinion and in my experience, better than video games um across the board is they're better at getting human interactions. Um, in part because they literally have local multiplayer built in. Uh you're almost always, the last two years, notwithstanding, playing board games with people physically in a room with you. And I think that's what um that's what the XCOM board game brings to the experience that the video game does not. It echoes or tries to echo a lot of like the strategic planning and decision-making that are fun in both video games and board games, but those are probably pulled off better in the video game. But in the board game, you're literally sitting around the table with up to four other people um, shouting instructions and collaborating and, and having a moment and experience which can be done in, in games too, right? That's part of what I think made, uh, games like Fortnite or, or Fall Guy spike in popularity as a shared multiplayer experience, but it's done, I think, often better by board games, and that's a big part of why I'm drawn to board games and card games is because there's people on the other end of the table, and you're usually eating food together and laughing about stuff that's not just the game, and I think that's important and, uh, and very difficult to replicate successfully um, in the video game space.
2: Yeah. So I think it's worth confronting a couple of the um, common criticisms of this uh, required app category Mm -hmm. and and talk about when that criticism is valid and and when when it isn't relevant. So the first one that comes to mind is um, I don't want to interact with my fellow humans like you're talking about through a phone. We're using phones all the time. So um yeah, so how can how can we as board game designers who are maybe thinking about having an app involved, um, how can we alleviate that concern
1: or, or deal with that? Hmm. I I think it's a valid concern. I, I Jason, I was telling you the other day, I love audiobooks, but I have intentionally tried to, I've, I have read several books this year, um, using this technology called paper and ink, where you, uh, where light refracts off of the paper and you're able to imagine the words <laughs> not in the a brain.
0: fan, not a fan.
1: <laughs> it is in almost every way. And I don't have to defend books here. People like books, but it's in almost every way inferior to audio books. But I've made that decision because I like the idea of um of disconnecting to my phone i i I think a lot of people share that sentiment and so um so i i respect the desire to just put away anything that uses electrons while you're playing your board game but i think that exists by having most games fit into that category i don't think that having that preference should um should dissuade designers from, uh, you know, and the, basically the hedge cases, the edge cases branching out and experimenting with new opportunities. So I don't think it's a criticism of the games that use it, um, but I think it's perfectly valid for people to not want that experience.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree with you that it's, if, if somebody doesn't want that experience, good. that's cool for them. I, I think that the only thing we as designers and publishers need to do is make sure that it's clear that the game uses that or requires that Mm -hmm. beyond that. I don't think we should cater to people who don't want that. And that's not like a, like a, Oh, because screw them. I mean, it's because 95 to 99% of board games don't require that. So if they're upset about that 1% and they're like rating the ones with stuff, I mean, that's, that's a person with, with an issue, right? I mean, that's not like, well, that's not a person being logical about, the fact that not every game is for everyone. It should be able to be played by anyone who wants to be. But there's there are games that I'll never play because they're not my style of game. And, and if you don't like the app-assisted games, I think that's fine. Like, just play a different game. There
2: There's um, a reasonable fear that you see something new that people are excited about and you worry that that's going to become the norm. Hmm. Um, yeah,
0: I... <laughs> I so just I get think where it's, it's coming uh, from but yeah
2: I think it's an alarmist and uneducated
0: view <laughs> just because like <laughs> the idea to be like well next it's going to be every game I play is going to I mean that's it's the slippery slope argument and it's just kind of silly because certain games work better for it right and I mean I personally I don't want to pay an extra 30 bucks to have a game or 20 bucks to have a game with all the extra cards in it that your 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 nice little packaged uh, games that you've made, your escape room set the holiday hygiene stuff that it just fits in a little thing and is super cheap to buy. Um, yeah, but
2: I don't want, I mean, I'm t- gonna play on the advocate the other the other side. I'm not gonna even say double's advocate because they're not the bat the wrong side. I'm I'm gonna advocate for that side for a second. Um kay. uh that not every game should have the app assistance and oh, so of course not. We should there should be a good reason for doing so. and yeah. I, mean, I would I would even go so far as to say when you're using it, you should use it as little as possible. so if if it's something that is narrated, it should be something that you can press go and then just listen to without staring at a screen. If it's something where you have to check something on the screen, maybe make it so that you're not staring at it the whole game maybe it's something you'd only check from time to time Mm -hmm. um because you want to keep the focus on the other people i totally agree totally
0: agree with you um i think there's space for games that do have i mean um there's a game that came out a while ago oh gosh i can't remember what it's called it's a game about somebody being missing it's an rpg and it's played via text And like you literally like I if we were playing it together, like if Michael was playing the character of Bert, I would change Michael's name in my phone to Bert. And like for that 60 minutes that we play the game, we are texting in and you could be in the same room. You can be in different locations, um, but that's an experience of its own. Right. Um, And I think that uh, I think you just you do have to take the experiential feeling into that. Right. And what you want Mm -hmm. for your game. I just don't like the idea that, you know, people are so against something like that, that, you know, I mean, I, I don't I just it's well, sticks in my craw
1: is, <laughs> as a as a board game player, as a consumer and even more so as a designer, you get to make that decision. If you are afraid that the the market will be dominated by a certain kind of game and that the kind of game that you enjoy won't exist anymore, you can make that game. And you can support that kind of game. So I, again, I, I agree that's a valid concern when you see something that you don't like and you're worried it will grow in popularity. That that could happen. That has happened. But you have a, an input and a voice, especially in a community like this that, as I've experienced, is so um, open and for the most part has a good ear. And so, um, yeah, if you have that concern, let's say express it through your decisions and what you buy and what you make well how about the was concern
2: the- then how about the other criticism mm-hmm. that we hear all the time um this is this digital i'm going to have this board game forever but what's going to stop this digital thing from
1: from not working that in that's five years? exactly where i was about to go and, and it's that is funny, a
0: valid 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 criticism
1: yes it's <laughs> funny that you mentioned that the again back to the uh, the XCOM board game uh you can see where i did my research they this game as i mentioned it It cannot be played without the app it is integral it is an entire players their entire role it is the whole rule book um and uh, it was published by oh i wrote it down and i lost it somewhere else well it is probably not important you can google it uh the publishers recently uh oh fantasy flight games it, it, the app support is is down. This game is from 2014, and if you go to the links on Fantasy Flight Games, at least from what I could find, to to download the app, you can't do it anymore. And so, if you own this game and you're looking to the publishers to uh to you know maybe you bought it second hand from somewhere and you want to download the app or you have a new device, you can't. But the flip side of that is, the beautiful community of BGG has saved the Windows. Uh, uh, application as a as a zip file to BGG, and so you can go there and download it and run it. So like, there's this, um, there's this this renegade archival uh, community that are working to preserve these games, but that that's not a great system for us to rely on. Um, so that I think that's it. that's a very valid concern, both as a player, but also as a designer, we want the things we make to persist. Uh, I would love for my grandkids to pick up a card game I made one day and wonder why grandpa made such a terrible card game, but to to <laughs> actually play it. And if it relies on technology, there's almost no chance that they'll be able to use it because technology will have evolved far past whatever I could have implemented unless it uses a taboo buzzer, in which case, I hope we still have double A batteries and annoying sounds and that sticks <laughs> around.
2: Yeah. And it's, and it's not a new problem. I mean, we've, I mean, this w- w- dates back to, vcr based games you know uh, those some of those still things. exist on uh on you could find them on youtube or something like that maybe if someone has done a good job of of grabbing or seen it that you needed a dvd player for um people still have dvd players but to have that that's game. that's getting harder actually to have on hand <laughs> um mm. so uh yeah it's not it's not anything new but it's something that arguably, is increasing. Um, so I think that there, even if there is nothing legal, there's there is an ethical requirement to me for does not the designers and publishers to in good faith try to stop this from being a problem. And um, I don't think we have a framework established for this, but I would like to see one. Um, and it's not going to be a one size fits all solution because, well, we, I guess we haven't really gone into the difference, differences between the different uh, kinds of implementations. But um, one of the reasons that I chose to do a, a website rather than an app, one of many reasons, um, is that it is more future proof. Um, if you're making something for iOS and Android, that Those are guaranteed to stop working unless you keep updating. Of them.
0: course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have plenty of games that I've loved over the years that I can't play anymore because they don't work on the newest version of the phone that I have, which is still four years old. So it's not mm-hmm. even like it's that new.
2: Yeah. There is no way that you can make an app for those platforms and expect people to be able to play it in five years if you don't maintain them. And right. eventually a, a company is going to stop maintaining something. So well, it's a cost thing, right? I mean, like yeah. if XCOM, no one knew was buying it really anymore.
0: Probably it's probably sold out. Um, you could buy it secondhand, like you said, but so yeah, they feel like it's not their job to keep it up to date anymore. And mm-hmm. It, part of me sees that as a possibility.
1: Yeah, and in defense of that, that's how video games work too, um, right. especially yeah. ones like you said that run on certain operating systems versus like the ones that work on dedicated consoles. If you can find that console and your your TV still has a yellow and a red and a white plug in the back, you can run it. Um, <laughs> but uh, so so that there is I, again, I think you're communicating. That upfront, what this game entails, what the experience is, and then making sure if you do include something like this, that it has a purpose in the game, that it draws people more into the game, whether that's the experience or or the mood, um, uh, or or simulate something. That's uh, as long as it has a purpose there, and it's not just added in. Uh, thoughtlessly i think this is the same thing we settled on for uh, single player designs mm-hmm. uh, as long as it as long as it's there and designed with intention it can serve a good role mm-hmm. um, just to just to list it out um uh, i think cuz we could give us like a a summary of what we covered on it uh, the times you might want to consider adding in some kind of uh, app assist or electronic assistance into the game, I guess specifically apps, um, situations where that could be useful. is If you have a lot of complex math in your game and you want to lean into that some, um, it, can, it can remove that tedium from the players as long as uh, it's not a bad game design decision to do so. And that, that can be a tricky line because you can get into a place where just a full-on video game makes more sense. I'm not quite sure where to draw that line. Um, It can be useful to expand uh, a narrative experience. Um, It can be used for complicated systems. Really, any time when you can take the weight off of the board game player and immerse them more into the game. Um, But you need to do it, I think like you said, Jonathan, in a way that doesn't draw them out of the game into some um, secondary application unless you can find a way to make that application integrated with the game. You guys talked about a couple really clever uh, hybrids where the, the electronic was the game, and so were the cards, and so were the, the components that you were, you were um, overlapping. Um, and then the last one we touched on just briefly, but that's accessibility. If there's a way to to make your game more playable by more people or to reach a, a larger audience, or especially often overlooked audiences, then uh, that's, that can be an excellent reason to, um, to implement something like that in a board game.
2: Yeah, narration of text um, is a great example of that. Mhm.
1: In any number. Yeah, that's a great games. point. Yeah.
0: Mhm. And that can be so much just more interesting too. I mean, like it just makes the game more fun than listening to one of your friends have to read it, right?
1: Unless mm-hmm. they do silly voices.
2: That's true. That is true. <laughs> Well, I think we could well, keep talking for a long time, Jason, but <laughs> we, we could, probably yes. have, we have exceeded our budget. I've uh I was just going to say, hey,
0: now might be a good time. We're going to do two pitches tonight, so we should probably move on to that. Um, so uh yeah, so let's uh Jonathan, why don't you uh why don't you go first there?
2: Sure. Um, so the game I've been working on, um I have a, a a game on the market called Stroop that is based on a psychology phenomenon um and i went going back to that well and i thought what other pop psychology can i mine and <laughs> i uh have come across um a few times a a something that caught my eye because of its wacky name which is always a good place to start and so this game is named after the psychology effect and the game is called booba kiki um, And the booba kiki effect is uh, it's a more a linguistics thing, I guess, than psychology. But it is a finding that people tend to associate certain shapes with with particular sounds. And the experiment is that you show people two different shapes and you say one of these is booba and one of these is kiki and you measure which way they sort them. And the finding is that there's a whole there's a huge amount of um, consistency in how people do that task, regardless of what language they speak, what their education background is, where they live in the world. It's just something kind of built into us. So from that, I thought, how can we gamify that? So the game is a cooperative game for two to five players or a party game for, for five or more. And in the cooperative game, you have a set of nonsense words on the table and a hand of cards that have doodles on them. And you need to pick a doodle from your hand that you think has a strong association with one of those nonsense words. And you place that down and everyone simultaneously votes on which word is associated with that shape. And if you can get a critical mass of agreement, um, unanimous at low player counts or near unanimous at higher ones, then that is a scoring a point. Um, And otherwise it is a strike and you have to get a certain number of hits before you get a certain number of misses to win the game as a group.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love this. I've heard of this effect before, and I I saw you playtesting it at Produsville Online last uh, January. I wanted to play it, and I never saw it live. I couldn't find it. But I immediately turned to my then five-year-old, and I said, Winry, I've got a spiky shape, and I've got a nice, I've got a round, uh, soft shape, which one is called Boo Boo, and which one is called Kiki. And she knew. She said, Kiki is the spiky one. Uh, And I I don't know how (laughs) she knew, but she... so. This this is great. Uh, I very much want a chance to playtest this because I love the idea that you're exploring.
2: Yeah, it, what makes the game work is that it sounds like a stu- stupid exercise in pure luck, but in reality, you do way better than you than luck would dictate. So mm. it 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 uh, elicits good good emotions it's not it's by no means a deep strategic game but um but it is working to produce
1: those right uh, feelings and i just love the imagery of a a collection of of friends or family just arguing to the death (laughs) over (laughs) what is essentially random nonsense but which i know people will get so invested in so quickly yeah yeah. It, it it feels really promising
0: what you didn't say was the reason you were so relieved that your daughter got it right was because otherwise you were going to be like, well, you're out.
1: Yeah. Sorry. That's clearly you're not one of us. The coming of age test. You hit five. What is this shape called?
2: (laughs) All right, Michael, over to you.
1: Okay. Uh, Yeah. First, uh, first building the game pitch. Let's give it a shot. So uh, I, you guys have picked up on by now i'm a fan of, of deck builders by no means the the only genre that i like but it's probably the only cross genre between video games and board games where, where i found a lot of overlap you know inscription Grifflands, meteor fall slay the spire uh, ascension At dominion uh, clank all of this I, I love this genre and how it can um explore different um anyway let me get into the pitch so <laughs> So I tried making my own, and with all the hubris of a new designer, my my first game design was a deck builder. It's been an excellent learning experience. Um, You're a brave dude, <laughs> uh, a foolish one, but a passionate, but a passionate Same thing. one too. Uh, and uh, and so uh, the the clearing is my my take on a deck builder, and it's an educational, uh, nature focused deck building game. It's got 48 unique creatures from four different North American Habitats and, and the game is about collecting these creatures using their relationship in a food chain. So you'll start with uh, with bugs and berries and leaves, and you'll use those to collect small creatures like frogs and birds, and then those in turn can be used to feed larger and larger creatures, working your way up the food chain. Um, and in fact, everything in this game is built to reflect in some way uh, the the nature or the habitats or the, the features of, um, of creatures. I wanted there to be a really strong thematic connection between how things behave in, in nature and, and how the game works. And so uh, there's a compact board that players use to compete for control over the, the current habitat by migrating around the board. And if you play a creature in their natural habitat, their abilities, their powers, um, become stronger so a draw one becomes draw two if you play the alligator while we're in the wetlands and so uh, and so you want to build your deck around those synergies and some other synergies which you know the, the fun of a deck builder in part is, is exploring and, and finding those synergies it's played over eight rounds and throughout those rounds players are progressively unlocking larger creatures and newer player actions as the seasons change um, I think it has uh, a lot of depth to it and fans of the deck building genre will find those challenges of discovering, um, uh, of discovering combos and deck strategies. But the, the target audience is a, a casual medium weight audience. The game is as much about picking the cute animal because I want a badger in my deck as it is about the optimal play each turn. And, and it's, it's overall goal is to create conversations and, um, and connections while playing the game and not just to be a, a heads down solitaire kind of game. And I think the theme, and again, the way that the game is built evokes that experience. I've seen a lot of that in playtesting and more of that as I've tried to design towards it. Um, so yeah, uh, that's the clearing. It's, uh, and, and I'm working on, so my current challenge for it is I want to get more of that educational element into the game. I want to have uh, like at the bottom of CCGs, you've got the the little flavor text, right? That says mm-hmm. something fun about the character and maybe plugs the universe that they're from. And I want description text for the different 48 creatures there to, to, to give more information about it. So when you play a sandcat for the first time, I want you to learn what that is and why it's adorable. Um, but I'm not <laughs> sure where to source that information from. My, my own knowledge is not enough to, to make this the... Um, uh, the the experience that I want it to be, and so, uh, you know, I'm I'm learning how to find art. I'm learning how to uh, how to to purchase iconography or to work with uh, a developer or another designer or an artist. But I don't really know where to go to uh, to buy or to cite or to reference what is essentially, uh, I guess, research or information. I assume it's not as simple as just going to wikipedia and then citing that in the rule book somewhere nor do i want that that feels shallow and, and uninteresting
0: well there goes my suggestion <laughs>
1: and well, maybe I'm illegal um, i making a video
2: game i don't know <laughs> i guess the first question is are you thinking about this from a perspective of wanting to get this signed by a publisher or something that you are going to do everything yourself
1: so this is a game that I, I intend to to publish through a publisher, and so I, I haven't leaned into that part yet because that's something I expect I can work with the publisher on. Um, yes, but I but I want to express that intent in the game because I want the I, I want that aspect of it to be communicated to the publisher. So maybe there's a placeholder thing I can do that doesn't yeah, have that... to be as robust, but obviously still is um, correct. I, I don't want to um, do anything outside of the the, the guidelines of design, or to, to take something unsighted and use it even in a in a prototype.
2: Yeah, I think um I think your your goal then is to express the intent of the design as opposed to getting all the details. Um, I as far as a legal requirement, I don't think that as long I think as long as you are writing things in your own words, um, there's there's not there's not any copyright ramifications. Um, Correct. Yeah. C- citation is in in research is 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 an ethical thing, not a legal thing, um, and uh, and so you shouldn't uh, use someone else's information without crediting them, just because of you know. But plagiarism is not a crime. It's it's a, it's a it's a failing. Um, so in terms that's of not
1: what that's not what my english teacher told me
2: <laughs> it's not a uh it's not a a, puni- a a criminally punishable crime um it is
0: a failingly punishable crime yeah, it's yes
2: a moral failing um no so in terms of a prototype i mean people use a- actually copyright violating things all the time in prototypes and. I don't think we're here to advocate that necessarily, but it is. We should know it's a thing that happens because people know things are placeholder, and usually they're just marked placeholder if you want to be good about it, and just put that word on it. Or, but I think using facts from common sources like Wikipedia, even or just even a honest to goodness encyclopedia, encyclopedia. Yes, ex- that's for the purpose of getting the point across to a publisher that this is the type of information you would like to require. It
1: seems sufficient to me. Thanks. I That's helpful. I, I will. That's kind of the next step for me is I've got the mechanics pretty close to where I want it. And I want to just continue to um, develop that vision as I begin to, to pitch it. My, one of my goals for this year is to take that game I've been designing for a while. And it's in a place where I would like to start pitching it to a publisher with a similar vision for it as, as I have someone that, you know, a publisher that likes connecting people and has that kind of that lighthearted, casual audience. Um, yeah. Yeah. So and I'm excited to look for that.
2: Heck you could go back to this uh, topic from today's show and, and develop something where you point the camera at these things and you get all those details. About they the, uh,
0: animate and just out of the thing. Yeah. It's going to be great. Make it AR.
2: <laughs> We didn't get, that's the thing we didn't get to talk about today is who actually does all that development. That's a whole separate topic.
1: Oh boy. Yeah. You, <laughs> you have to be a jack of many trades if you also want to write the code and the scripting and uh, be familiar with porting it to different types of gaming platforms. And yeah, it kind of takes it out of the, uh, the one person shop uh, that a lot of um, tabletop design can start as. It's true. It's true, unless you're Jonathan and you just know how to code HTML, you can just do that on the fly.
0: <laughs> Jonathan just knows how to do everything. That's the problem, but <laughs> it's only a problem for people who aren't Jonathan. But um. <laughs> Well, hey, this has been uh, this has been a lot of fun. And uh, as we agreed upon ahead of time, we have went way over what we normally would have. And that's great because I think it was a really good discussion and worth it. A couple of great pitches at the end. So thank you, too, for for coming on and hanging out and chatting about all of this stuff. I think it was a it was a fun
1: conversation.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. Really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. And, uh, listeners, Hey, if you want to get in touch with us, of course, you can go to building You can find our discord channel there. You can also, uh, email us building the at gmail.com. You can call us at seven seven zero tell BTG. You can also find us on the Twitter. Uh, I am, uh, the podcast is at podcast BTG. I am at J A Slingerland. Uh, Jonathan is at uncle John, Bob and Michael is at wonderful games. Uh, that's O N E Derful games. Uh, I, I think it's it full <laughs> I did. I did want to make the oneter joke from the wonders, or from uh, what was the name that thing you do? Yes. Yes. Yeah. The oneters.
1: You wouldn't be the first.
0: So, uh, yeah. But until next time. Good night.
2: Good night. Good night. Building the game which isn't in friends, which isn't in friends. Building the game, building the game which isn't in friends, which isn't in friends. Dial 770 tell V T G. Please don't use the email.